Welcome to Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the Bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by the best training conference on the planet, Hits K9 Training and Conference, www.hitsk9.net, or call Jeff Barrett, 863-529-5113. We'll see you there. One of our other great sponsors, be sure to check them out, Ray Allen Manufacturing up in Colorado Springs, rayallen.com. Be sure to use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off. Spell it out, get the discount. Everyone knows Ted and I are huge fans of Dogtra. Uh, we use all their products, lots of stuff. Dogtra.com, use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. All right, everybody loves drag and drop the easiest way possible. The easiest way to get a kennel up and running is to get them from Horizon Structures. Go to horizonstructures.com or call 1-888-447-4337. Make sure you tell them that Working Dog Radio sent you. There you go. One of our newest sponsors and one of our favorites, Kinetic Dog Food. Kineticdogfood.com or call 512-279-8966. Get your dog on the right track. One of our other fantastic sponsors that are run by the Heiser, some of the best people in the industry. We love those guys. Uh, looking for a reputable canine kennel with dog sales and training services? They're located in sunny New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual-purpose working dog to handler courses and seminars. Southern Coast is a great resource, so check them out. And where you can check them out is Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K, number 9.com, or give them a call, 877-903-DOGS. That's dogs. All right, everybody, we are back. Uh, I am Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. With me, as always, is uh, Eric Stambro from up in Canton. Eric, what's going on? Uh, just got back from picking up a dog, came back, dog's still in the truck. Drove yeah. right home, set up the studio, and here we are. <laughs> what is it, single-purpose dog, dual-purpose dog? No, dual-purpose. Uh, he'll be a dual-purpose explosive canine for uh, the, the sheriff's office, uh, the county that Canton is in. I trained their last dog. And he's ready to retire, so time to get a new one. Excellent, excellent. Um, so this is the fourth uh, episode in our 2020 Ladies of Canine. Uh, we had a great episode uh, right before this one um, with the author that Marie could average, uh, which was a great interview. In that interview, we talked about some of the COVID dogs, and we talked about some of the other stuff. And interestingly enough, our two guests tonight... Uh, have some information that they're kind of working on with stuff about that and some stuff that we related in the last interview. So it's kind of a nice way to round out the series. But tonight we have Jenna Dadbury and Michelle Mon. So guys, how are you? Or I'm sorry, ladies, how are you? <laughs> We're super, thank you. Doing good. Excellent. So um, you guys kind of have an interesting... Uh, background. Each one of you does. One of you went one way and the other one went the other way and you kind of met in present COVID apocalypse times. So uh, Jenna, why don't we start with you? Like how did um, you get introduced to canine and how did you get into this whole process, this whole industry? So my story is not nearly as interesting as Michelle's, but I'll go first anyways. Um, so I am actually a forensic scientist by trade and was working in 
a laboratory for the Department of Defense that identified uh, service members from past and present wars. And from there, I moved to another agency that was working on battlefield forensics. So this was the height of OEF, OIF. And within that was told, hey, have you done any work with human scent? Of course, my answer was no. So I worked with a couple of other three-letter agencies on identifying whether or not human scent would be a good forensically valid way for us to be identifying individuals in various situations. Um, from there, we built, I guess, the tools. I don't know if you have heard of the Scent Sucker 2000, but that is a forensically valid tool that we can use to pull human odor onto a piece of gauze. And we all know that the Germans did this way back when, when they held everyone's odor in their own odor banks. And subsequently, after the wall went down, they had all these jars of people's human odor. And once eBay was up and running, they started selling everyone's odor off to make money. Um, so there's your fun history fact. So we in the <laughs> no, West decided that, that, that doesn't sound sketchy at all. Like, no, not at all. You want to sell my fucking fingerprints too, or what? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> okay. Do. The scent sucker sounds like something from South Park, but I mean, is that what they really called it? Well, that's what I named it. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, oh. that's legit. I mean, but it is. It, it is the descriptive. Scent sucker. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's descriptive. It's in the name. You're like, what's it do? And it's like, dude, it's in the name. <laughs> and it's more fun. It's more fun to say that than oh, can I have the dust buster over in the corner that's gonna suck it onto the gauze? Like no, deploy the scent sucker. <laughs> so uh, from there, I was working pretty heavily in the forensic arena when it came to human odor. And once we were starting to round out that program, I was approached by my director, who said, "Hey, we've got the folks down at Fort Bragg that." need a canine program because unfortunately we killed off our canine our special forces canine program after vietnam war because everyone was saying hey we're going to be going to a digital war no longer hand to hand well surprise that was not the case and we needed more military working dogs on the ground and since special forces is special they did not want to go through lackland they wanted their own program so fast forward to me being young and not knowing anything about the canine industry, started touring the U.S. to figure out where I was going to start a canine program for the Special Forces. So that was my quick and dirty intro to canines within the patrol realm, I guess, would be the right way of putting it. Um, the multi-purpose canine program was stood up in 2004. I started off with my first dog deployed, moved into three once we figured out the logistical nightmare that we just started when it came to vets and transport and food and everything else that we didn't realize was going to be a big issue. They are now upwards of 200 canines within the multi-purpose canine program. Um, I cut the umbilical cord, they took the program off and running, and I continued to look into different ways that we could enhance that program and also our conventional forces program. Here I am now. Was that a boring and intro? There you no, go. So not at all. No, 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 not at all. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> During the whole uh, standing up that NPC, that was just Army, right? That was for the SF guys, correct? 
Uh, it also incorporated Navy, Marine Corps. Okay. So, so basically it was the, the whole SOCOM umbrella. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say use the SOC. Yeah, so it was the whole, the whole critter, the whole thing. So Minus some other specialties, but... Right. So during that um, process, what was your role? So my role was basically program management. So I did everything from standing up the contracts for the schoolhouse, for the kennel masters, for all of their gear. We had to develop new camera systems. Uh, the vests, I won't name brand names, but the vests that came out of it, looking for how was their scent kit going to be deployed? What was their scent kit going to look like? Since they weren't conventional forces, we were able to wiggle around some of the ammo issues that conventional forces has with being so pigeonholed with their 1972 scent kit. Um, so basically everything from soup to nuts and getting those contracts, getting the dogs paid for, getting the dogs within the military working dog system. What kind of blew your mind? What are a couple things that you were really uh, blown away by? I would say the biggest thing was just the notion that I was such a newbie and I guess people just trying to pull the wool over your eyes, hate to say it, but there were so many folks that were just looking at it from the money side of the house and not recognizing that these dogs were actually going to be sent downrange with a service member in hopes to keep him alive. And so seeing some of the greed and distrust distrust in the industry was kind of interesting. Um, but once, once I kind of figured out the game and just became a sponge, it was a bit easier to navigate. Or is it just that happened way above your head or was it a collective kind of sit down where you were able to try to prove some things? I, I'm curious to how you overcame that bean counter stuff. The bean counter stuff, that was interesting. So trying to get contracts up and running for folks that are used to, you know, buying, say, a rifle or a new backpack, purchasing a dog, as you all know, is a whole new ball game and everything that comes with him. Um, so getting the contracts folks to understand why we were letting contracts with certain facilities and not others and having to put forth these competitions um, I should say proposals rather than competitions, but um, allowing the contracts folks to determine where the right contract was going to go was more or less a crapshoot because as I'm assuming everyone on here recognizes, you know, you can put whatever you want down on paper. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the truth, but we have to go with it because that's what the contracts folks say is going to be the best performer for that job. Hmm. That's a novel concept. Uh, you know, surprising <laughs> that we have to still show people that the best dog for the job is what we need to go with. Um, but Ted and I can tell you from the um, police side of it, um, a lot of places are still, no matter what, it's cheapest bidder, must be. No matter, you can't, there's no way around it, must be cheapest bidder. Some places are not. Some places have a X amount of money per year they can spend before they have to bid some things out and stuff like that. But, um, I, yeah. And Ted talks about this a lot in some of our other podcasts about how, like, the federal government treats dogs still to this day, I believe, as equipment. And they bid it out and buy them as equipment. And um, they're, it's just not the same. Like, you can Glock and roll out a million 
Glock 19s, they all function exactly the same. You, you go to one kennel and get two dogs are completely different. So it's probably yeah. hard for folks to, you know, well, dogs in, aren't the, in, the, in the head shed to understand, right? Right. Yeah, dogs aren't Glocks. I say that all the time. I tell, I tell admins, they're like, oh, a dog's a dog. I'm like, uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, they all have four, le- four legs. Most of them have four legs and a tail and ears and eyes and yeah it's a dog but it's not necessarily not necessarily the best outcome yeah absolutely i mean a glock is easy because it's you know g19 is a g19 i don't care where you get it from um but so yeah absolutely we say that we i mean that's you know and then exactly like how do you and we talk about this a lot too like testing and that's a big deal for departments because you know guys come out and they want to test dogs they want to look at nine thousand fucking dogs and they want to just you know talk about this and talk about that and run multiple different, you know, tests on a dog. And so then it is like, who has the best testing protocol? And everybody in the country thinks that their test is the best. That's all secret fucking sauce. And, you know, it floors me that they're picking from the same pool for the same job and effectively the same area. And somehow their selection process is a lot different than the neighboring county, which is mind boggling to me. I mean, and when it comes down to it, fundamentally, they're used as a location tool, and it's not like rockets. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is. Fuck, I don't know. Maybe I take it for granted. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Eric and I are pretty good about picking out, pick, pretty good at picking out dogs. So I don't know. Maybe we just got lucky. Who knows? Um, so, uh, Michelle, uh, how did you end up on this um, interview? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here for the violence. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm just here to tell right. jokes and drink beer. Right. So my background, (laughs) my background is um, a little bit different. So I had initially um, intended on becoming a veterinarian and then sort of took a bit of a left turn and uh, decided that I liked the research side of veterinary medicine a little bit more. So I went and got uh, my PhD um, in studying pandemic influenzas, actually. So... um, then the army was interested in um, taking me on as a postdoc because I had experience with high consequence pathogens. And so, you know, if I'm not going to be afraid of bird flu, then I probably also will be competent and able to handle anthrax and all sorts of other scary pathogens. Holy and so shit. I started. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> high, um, what did you call it? High consequence pathogens? Yes. You. That. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say. That sounds fucking scary. I'm out on that. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense if you can handle. Yeah, you can handle anthrax. Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have no problem wearing a mask, obviously. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I'm, st- you know, studying and handling all of these, you know, things that people would find pretty scary, um, but you know, we do it safely. And um, then there was a project that came along during my postdoc and where we work, it's typically a bunch of nerdy scientists and, but there's this military working dog project that came along and there was sort of a call out to everyone um, at our command saying, Hey, is there anyone that would be willing to work on this military working dog project? And by the way, you can't be scared of dogs because you know, these are not, uh, you know, your domestic household pet, these are going to be, you know, fur missiles. And uh, I was like, I raised my hand immediately. And I was like, not only am I not scared, like, I was built for this, like, let's do this. 
Um, so I immediately, you know, throw down the biohazard suit and uh, picked up this military working dog project. And ever since then, um, for the past eight years, it's just been all military working dog projects because that's really where my passion was to begin with, was more in the, um, you know, the animal science realm or, or veterinary medicine realm. But um, now I get to do actually applied work, which is way more interesting and fun um, than some of the basic research work I was doing. The first one that was going on while you were in there, are you allowed to talk about that? You Can you say what that was? Ha, uh, no. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I was wondering. No. Yeah. Thought I'd take one a of, shot. <laughs> it never hurts to ask. Can you tell us um, about the masks you like to wear? Right. <laughs> um, so one thing that you mentioned, um, so, you know, after you get your, you have a PhD in animal science, um, you move over to the DOD side, um, one of the things that you realized pretty quickly is something that I, uh, we talked about last night, um, was that the, as you call it, the nerd herd and all <laughs> the, the knuckle draggers, um, which is Eric and I don't really like speak the same language or which is a main like disconnect, right? We'll get people that are like really, really good, um, with like applied or like sort of applied sciences and stuff. And then they come to canine trainers and canine handlers and they're like, you should do it this way. And we look at them, we're like, what? No, or why, or what the fuck are you talking about? And right. so, you know, talk a little bit about how in one of these programs that the, you know, coming together of the nerd herd and the knuckle draggers, um, what, what the outcome of that was? Well, it was clear right away. Um, I noticed it in that very first project. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, the communication breakdown was was really obvious. Um, there there was mutual respect, but um, when you don't have you know the same vocabulary um, and the same understanding and perspective, it just it really limits or hampers the um, effectiveness or the ability to take the research to the next level. And so um, you know I I was very frustrated by that process and. Um, I felt, I felt like we were doing a disservice to ultimately to the program, um, by not having that intermediary, um, or, you know, that translator that could, that could do, um, that could speak both languages. And so I think it was really shortly thereafter that, um, I, I sort of told my, you know, my leadership that I said, Hey, listen, I know that this is sort of a bizarre request, but we need to go and send me to um, canine handler school and I need to get a bomb dog. And they're like, what? They're like, that's not what we had in mind when we like offered continuing education credits. Um, and I was like, I, I, I know, but I'm, I promise you, this is the only way for us to, to, to grow the, you know, the canine or military working dog um, research portfolio here. And so uh, my company sponsored me to go and my contract company sponsored me to go and um, do that. I spent uh, eight weeks down in uh, Anniston, Alabama and got myself a uh, single purpose, paper wake, whatever, proprietary um, uh, mm -hmm. bomb dog and um, got 
a nice dose of reality of how hard it is to be a canine handler um, because you all make it look so easy. Um, it really does look like when you're a good handler, it, it does look so easy. It looks like you're literally just taking the dog for a walk. Yeah. Um, and so it, from the outside perspective, I just, I got, um, it, yeah, I just got such an appreciation for how hard it is, um, to, you know, not trip over your leash and have all of those leash handling skills and footwork and pay attention to the wind and the, and the directionality of, um, you know, all of these like little things that are going on in your environment, let alone now watch your dog's change of behavior and everything else around you, you know, especially if um, you're working a problem set where someone's trying to set up like booby traps for you. And this is just in training, let alone if there was you know something in, oper in operation. So it was, um, it was really, I really had a new perspective and respect for um, the profession. And that led me to, become a much better, uh, researcher, um, because I, I saw, um, things from the dog's perspective that I had never realized before. And I saw some of the things that we were asking for on the science side of the house that were completely unreasonable, um, before. And I'll give, a, I'll give an example of that. So we had set up some, um, tests and evaluations that were 9 AM to 5 PM, Monday through Friday. And we didn't plan for any breaks. Right. I mean, the, the dogs, there's a lot of sit around and waiting, as you know, like as dogs cycle through um, their run order, but we didn't plan for any breaks. And so we're wondering by Wednesday, why the wheels are falling off. And you know, the dogs like what's happening that you know, their dogs aren't working anymore. And we're scratching our heads and we're looking at the training aids and we're looking at, um, everything else other than the psychology of the dog there and saying like, hello, the dogs are bored. They're bored out of their damn mind. The handlers are bored because these are pretty like high drive guys too, in addition to their high drive dogs. And we just like, they needed to be dogs for a bit. And so we realized, you know, or I realized looking back on it that we had to be scheduling time in the middle of the day um, and throughout for, to let the dogs be dogs. And after we did that, the next test we had um, went so much better, so much better. Um, you know, we took the dogs to um, a lake in the middle of the day, and then they had the weekends off, and we had small breaks throughout, um, you know, each testing day. And just that little change made such a huge difference. Um, and so little things like that, um, you know, really did bring um, an, a bring the programs to the level that they needed to be at. And I think that helped um, people want to work with us more because they realized that we did, um, we, we would be able to work with them on a project as opposed to saying like, you know, dictating from on high, like this is how it has to be. And so our approach now, and Jenna's always been this way, but is really, really collaborative. And so if you were talking to, um, you know, Maria yesterday or, or whenever you interviewed her and, you know, we've been working with Pat Nolan on from tactical directional canine on the COVID detection dogs. He's not, you know, it's not like he's the trainer and we tell him what to do. We are asking him, 
hey, how do you think we should go about this? And here's some of the things that we need to happen, but how do you, how would you go about it? And what's, you know, what's your input? And so it really is a team approach. And I think that's what makes the project so much more successful is, is really when we all come together. Um, and you really do have to have a, um, you know, put your egos aside and put all of your BS aside to, to be able to work like that. Um, so yeah, that, that's the very long story for, yes, um, speak, get on the same page with your vernacular, with your language and, and your, and everything else, because it, it, it does make a huge difference. We do have a lot of listeners that are not, um, handlers, you know, they're, uh, civilians, they care about the dog. So tell us about that dog. The first one you had breed name, things you liked, things that were a little quirky, Something like oh, that yeah. with the dog first before we move on, please. So I still have him. Um, his name's Usher. I did not name him, but I kept his name. Um, he was part of the U litter out of Auburn um, Canine Performances Sciences Center, or whatever that is called now. Um, he's a black lab. Um, he is a phenomenal detection dog. He's eight years old now, and he loves to work. Um he likes to get into trouble, uh, probably because he doesn't work enough. And I am not a very good handler, but I try. I, you know, like a for a for effort. Um, maybe, maybe um, there. I'll never forget. I was training with NYPD um, because so since he's vapor wake, it's really hard for me to get maintenance training is a nightmare, right? So it's really hard for me to get access to crowds of a magnitude or size that can really challenge a vaporweight dog. So he needs to get um, access to just so many people in a crowded environment to make him stop um, trying to search individuals and really just rely solely on his nose and um, and scenting the air and, and not trying to target, um, you know, objects or, or people. So... I said, okay, I called up some of my friends at NYPD and I said, hey, can I just get into like the craziest environments that you have so that I can get some legit training? And they said, sure. How does like Times Square work? And I was like, perfect. Um, and, then, and, then I, and then I said, and, and so Times Square was great. And I was like, okay, let's take it up a notch. So we went down to the subway station um, right at Times Square, which is, I think like there's like six or seven subway uh, you know, hubs that all intersect there. And so there's these crazy wind currents of all the incoming trains and just so many different intersections of, of people crossing. Um, and, you know, it was a crazy hard challenge, but it was so much fun. Um, but anyway, so when it, before we got to this training day, which was like my, you know, that was my um, reward for having trained in some of the you know, easier environments throughout the earlier part of the week. Um, one of the handlers said that I, or no, one of the trainers said that I looked like, um, it was like watching old people have sex. And I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> do you, and I, was, and I was like, do you mean like really intimate and sensual? Like, I'm just like a very experienced handler that like, I just move the leash so well and everything. He's like, no, like slow and sloppy and disgusting. And <laughs> like you're like, blind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so th this is not a compliment. He's like, absolutely not. And I was like, oh, oh got it. Okay. Um, so, you know, 
Uh, I'm not a good handler. That's bottom line. But I try. Um, so, I mean, my dog's, my dog's really fast. Um, and I'm like a slow middle-aged mom. Um, and he, so he works best when I cut him off lead. And, um, you know, he, he can clear stadiums in no time at all. He's, he's just really good. He has a really good nose. Um, and we challenge him a lot because I, you know, try and use him as much as possible for some of our research. So he's used to doing like really crazy (laughs) detection problems. Um, so yeah, at home, um, we had a grease lightning incident that Jenna is well aware of, um, that, uh, we, I, I, I thanked everyone for cleaning up from a dinner uh, the next day. I said, oh, thank you so much to my husband like for cleaning up last night's dinner. And he's like, okay. And we didn't really talk about it again. Um, and then there was a just like three days of horrific canine diarrhea, just like horrific. <laughs> um, and, 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 the, and the kind where you need um, like the Dawn cleaning up the baby ducks from the oil spill. Like that kind uh, of cleanup, like, yeah. like not, not the regular dog shampoo. Like you need, you really need like some sort of industrial level, um, <clears throat> detergents here. And so I was like, what in the hell happened? And there were some other confounding things. Like there were some missing caterpillars in the house and there's, there's, my house is crazy, but anyway, so we didn't figure it out until my husband was like, and I were back and forth about how neither of us had really cleaned up from dinner. And what had happened was the dog had, um, did a little bit of counter surfing and had ingested an entire pan full of French fry oil. Um, and yes. Yeah. And licked the bowl clean. So we thought that every, you know, someone else had cleaned up and really it was the dog that cleaned up and hence the grease, grease, grease lightning incident, which was still, something we shudder to think about. Um, so yeah, he's a troublemaker, but, um, we love him and he's a wonderful detection dog. And if I could have put him as a co-inventor on my patent for, uh, some, the containment device that I invented, which we'll get into later, um, I would, because I would not have been able to develop that without his help. So he, he's phenomenal. Was he a uh, food reward or a toy reward dog? A what? Oh, sorry. Um, Your husband. Food reward or toy reward? (laughs) He works for the dog, not the husband. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He does it all, but uh, he's he's mainly toy. So he's mainly toy reward. I've been doing some. I've been doing some obedience and like like fun tricks and stuff with Mm -hmm. him now in the in the quarantine because I'm like, all right, what else am I gonna do with this guy? so we've been doing some other fun stuff, and I've just been using food for that. But for all detection um, th- problem sets that we do, it's been all toy. And donuts. Have you guys run across that? I know you guys have done a lot of research, and we'll get into a bunch of that stuff. Um, trying to see the difference in the workability of a dog works more better for food or, or toy, or is it you guys messed with that at all? Because I know there's a lot of people that are trying to there's – a, there's a debate over what's better is what I should say. We have not studied that. Um, I'm surprised that there's, that's what we debate about. Are people really debating that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, no. Oh, yeah, there's, oh, yeah. there's oh, people there's that swear huge, by oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there is a – there, and it has been a long-running debate in uh, the police canine side for I, as long as I've ever been involved in it. 
Um, there are guys that claim that if you use food reward, you're bribing the dog. There are people that claim that both food and toy reward is nothing more than bribing the dog. And there are people that train that the dog will work for a handler's affection. There's any number of stupid myths that you, which is completely ignorant of drive theory altogether, but I, that's another discussion. But yeah, I, there's some stupid shit that um, I have heard. Um, people that are like, you know, if you train the dog with food, they won't work for anything but food. I've heard that um, if you have, I, there's a dude in Louisiana that, that legit stands up in front of people and word for I've heard him say this. I have heard him say, if you use a rubber toy to reward your dog, they will alert on car tires. Stop it. I swear to God. Oh, yeah. And he's been a fucking canine trainer for 35 years. He'll every time every chance he gets, he tells you that. Believe me. He'll tell you. Believe me. And my response is always like, well, I guess there's always time to do it right. But I mean, <laughs> like, no, he, he legit. I swear to God. And when. But so, yeah, there I mean, it's a huge debate. So it's interesting that. You too. Um, you're like, oh, is that really a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. I, I swear to God, it's a thing. And there are still police canine trainers in this country that are training dogs right now that think that food reward is for pussy-ass, positive-only people. Uh, okay. I swear no, to God. I had, I had somebody tell me that last week. I had a master trainer, a Napwata master trainer, tell me that we don't do none of that shit because that's for pets. I, I swear to God, I was like, well, fuck, I've got some dogs at the kennel. You put too much heat on them. They will bite the shit out of you. So I got to train them yeah. somehow. So, I mean, I, I swear uh, to God, that's a thing. Okay. So um, we have uh, bigger fish to fry than, the, you know, for some of, like, that's not really a question in our world. Um, in, in terms of there's a lot of ways to get the job done. And you got to work with each dog, and and yeah, if you're talking about like drive theory and motivation, um, there's there's a lot of ways to work to get there. And so we're not going to say like it has to be this one way or you know the other, but that's really not up for debate. Um, right. And at least in the DoD. Yeah, we have a Eric and I have a buddy that works um, with us at HRD that um, works for MSA. Uh, and has a bomb dog, um, and his dog is um, food reward. Um, we had him at <laughs> we had him he had him at the last HRD in Indiana, and one of our decoys had a gun in the car. And Josh, the dog's name is Josh Joshua. Josh jumps up in the car and starts alerting on the AK that's in the vehicle. The gun is in the vehicle, and the handler's <laughs> like, "Oh shit, I gotta get my food. I gotta get my food." And so I'm like, "Oh, he's clearly food reward." And he's like, "Oh yeah, no." So I mean. I mean, it's it's not a – I don't care either way. It's not practical for police dogs. Um, like I can't – you know, we don't want handlers feeding dogs on the side of the road. It's the same thing when I talk to bird dog trainers and I'm buying them for single-purpose work and they're like – I'm like, well, you chase a tennis ball? And they're like, well, why? And I'm like, because I don't want to give my handlers doves to carry around in their pockets <laughs> to fucking reward dogs with. It's kind of awkward and it's gross. So they got to chase a tennis ball. Like they got to have something. I gotta, they got to chase a tennis ball. So, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a getting an off tangent. You're right. We do have other things to fry. So, uh, how did you two um, meet? Um, you obviously know each other. Before we started recording, you two were already having a conversation. So, um, you well, obviously know each love, other really well. It was well. love at first sight. It was uh, love at first sight. Much like mm -hmm. how Eric and I met. Tinder. Yes, yes exactly. Right. Ours yeah. was Grinder. Tinder. Yeah. Tin, yeah, Tinder. Grinder. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. okay Cuban. Grinder in Thailand. Yeah. We didn't learn about it then. 
<laughs> I did. No. Well, maybe you did. I knew about it way before then. Um, I was definitely slow to that one. Yeah. Um, yeah so Jenna and I... Hour that <laughs> that's a different <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> that's for Jenna and I when we do our webcam videos. Uh, yep. yep. That's a paid for, for prescription. Or yeah, yeah, you have to subscribe to that one and pay for it. Friends only, whatever. When you wear your mask. Yeah. Yeah, and like you can pay us to eat sandwiches and stuff. Pickles. Never mind. Nice. And smash uh, never mind. bread with our foreheads. Yeah, she smashes bread with her face. <laughs> for all, all right, those anyway. lovers out there. Yeah, yeah so, um, sorry. So how did you guys Anyway, <laughs> Anyway, we met... Um, in 2014 at a conference and I had been hearing this name Jenna Gadbury, Jenna Gadbury, Jenna Gadbury for quite a while um, but had uh, you know but it never met her and so I heard that she was at this conference and I asked um, a mutual contact to introduce us and after I met her I was like all right she's DTF like this is awesome um, we're gonna have a great time and so ever since then it was like we mm -hmm. were Fast, fast friends. And then um, for my birthday in March 2016, I got to hire her and um, start working with her. And so we've been working together ever since. Um, a really boring story. I did pick up on the Jersey Shore reference, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, I just figured if we, if we mentioned the DTF, we would go off on a whole nother, another tangent. So... Um, Jenna, what was your, what's your version of the story? So my version of the story, I don't know how much I can go into Michelle because it involves other individuals, but tell it all, basically oh. <laughs> tell it all. Just, just send open the kimono. <laughs> Boom. It's happening. So there I was at this conference and one of my colleagues comes over and says, who the hell is that? And I'm looking at her and I said, who? The girl in all black. I said, oh, must be Wednesday. And he said, well, she won't tell me what she does or who she's with. I said, okay. Did she say what command she's from or whatever? And so he says, yeah, and tells me. I said, I know exactly who that is. And we just kind of carried on. And the next thing I know, this little schoolgirl comes over and says, hi. I'd like to meet you. My name is Dr. Michelle Mon. And that was my end of the story. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was less exciting than that I was. That was way less exciting than what I thought. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you heard DTF and you were totally hook, line, and sinkered. Well, I, I mean, I was <laughs> like, oh, shit, we're going to have to edit this. So um, <laughs> we're going to take a break for a second. Uh, we're going to come back. When we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, Tad Dogs, and we're going to talk about working with Pat Nolan um, and stopping Corona Apocalypse. Um, so, the vid. Yeah, the vid. Rona. All right, everybody, uh, we'll be back. Don't fucking fast forward through the commercials. Um, get the discount codes. Um, support the sponsors. Support the podcast. This is not free. So, yeah, uh, we'll be back. And Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, it's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all, to be a world leader in quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and delivery on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held true to that. 
since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything dog. One of the longtime sponsors of Working Dog Radio from the beginning has been Highland Canine in North Carolina. Tactical Police Canine, a.k.a. Highland Canine in North Carolina, offers training, seminars, and consulting globally for police, military, and non-government agencies. They provide customized training programs to address specific problems and meet the needs of your organization. Check out their wide array of handler courses, instructor courses, supervisor courses, and online courses at Tactical Police canine training.com uh jason and aaron Ferguson are two of our most favorite people and they have been with us since the beginning so hit them up we get it fueling a working dog can be tough but they need that high quality food to give them the energy and nutrients that they require for the work we ask them to do kinetic dog food has a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs they have a full line of foods and supplements available, and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs in hundreds of departments across the U.S., and you can buy it locally, online, or at Tractor Supply. Okay. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dogtra. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world, everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, Bark collars. If it's electronic, Dogtra is the best. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Plus, they give us a great discount code. Go to Dogtra.com. Everybody hears me say all the time, you can't teach dogs to bite people and act shocked when they do. Inevitably, I get bit. You've all heard me talk about how I get tagged and being tagged by a dog sucks. So I've used Quick Term <laughs> to help myself, uh, but before... I had to go to the doctor's office. Uh, it, it definitely helped keep down infection and everything else. And I've had some uh, non-scarring because of it too, so it's pretty good. But it's no exaggeration. The stuff is great. Once daily treatment for any skin condition on small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones that your admins are sure to love. It comes in a spray. It comes in an ointment. It comes in a dressing. Quick Derm is great at creating protective barrier and promoting wound healing. There's no reason not to have a bottle of this in the patrol car, or your kennel, or your first aid cabinet. Plus, it's... it's uh, temperature stable so you can keep it in the patrol car when it's cold when it's hot whenever and it'll still be good make sure you hit them up at vetcare.us and use the discount code 10wdr for a discount on your first purchase which is going to be 10 percent. have you ever dreamed of having your own kennel but don't know where to start horizon structures has taken all of the guesswork out of building a kennel Everything is pre-built to your specifications and preferences and then assembled and dropped off at your land. Boom, new kennels. And these things are amazing. You've got to see them to truly believe them. Their website, horizonstructures.com, is a one-stop shop. Build your best kennel, your favorite things you want. Check it out, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Uh, Hopefully you didn't skip through too many of the commercials. If you did, remember at the bottom of the episode is the show notes. In the show notes are all of the social media uh, links to everybody and the um, discount codes. So we are talking with uh, Jenna and Michelle, the dynamic duo who met online. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> met at a conference and then started this uh, great journey. You know, we, we've been laughing and joking and kind of making light of some things. But what these two ladies do is 
definitely take this job seriously, trying to um, better this program, the MPC programs, this industry, the the military side of things to to get guys home and get them safe. Um, so much so that you know you have uh, each of them learning each other's crafts and stuff. So it, it's super impressive. Um, I want to talk about um, you mentioned Usher and how he helped you invent something, um, Michelle. What, the uh, the tad. Do you want to talk about that because it's pretty slick. Yeah, absolutely. So, what first project that I was working on um, when I started doing my postdoc um, was a project where we needed to train dogs to detect something that was potentially hazardous. And so, at the time, there was no containment system that would allow dogs to to do that. And so, my job was to figure out, like they just said, figure this out. And I said, uh, okay. So there was some sort of, there were some things in the lab that you could kind of um, repurpose for that, but they were these, you know, weird centrifuge tubes and all these other devices that were not really going to work. And so, well, I didn't know they weren't going to work until I tried them um, with my dog, Usher, and he would get the tube up his nose and, you know, snort and then sort of walk off. Um, and that would end the imprint session. So I quickly realized that nothing that we had available was going to work. And so um, I invented what I call the TAD, the canine training aid delivery device. And what that was very simply was this little containment system, this little jar that allows you to um, put a training aid in it and the odor of the training aid can come out, but not the actual training aid. And so what that allows us to do or enables us to do is then train on hazardous material, anything from um, liquids like a, a nitromethane explosive um, through fentanyl, if you have to train your dogs on, you know, synthetic opioids. And so that entire range of materials is now within scope of things that you can train your dogs on while protecting not only the dog, but also the handler. And that then um, segued into what we're doing now with the University of Pennsylvania and Pat Nolan with these COVID detection dogs. And so that was how the approvals were allowed by the various safety committees that said, okay, yes, we will sign off on this project because um, there isn't a chance of exposure of the dogs to this virus because of the TAD. Um, and so that was like, you know, sort of its crowning achievement of how it you know became this sort of laboratory device and then ended up being something that could be fielded and then used to address a global health pandemic with these COVID detection dogs. Um, but the real value of it was um, when I was using it, it was just this laboratory device and something that was not nearly rugged enough to ever be deployed um, or used in you know field operations. So when I saw it, or when Jenna first laid eyes on it, she said, you know, this is, you know, this has applications way outside of the lab, right? And I was like, oh, I don't know, I guess, maybe, no. Um, and she said, uh, yeah, this this needs to get out into the world. And I said, well, I, not many of the people are going to be training on hazardous stuff, like, you know, drug dogs and explosive dogs. They're not really training. They're training right now on stuff that's in a scent bag or in a sniffer tin. Like, obviously, it's not hazardous. And she's like, yeah, but, and so we realized all of these features of the TAD 
that made it, um, you know, even better than what all of the other systems out there um, could do. So the fact that at the end of a training day, you can take the TAD and dunk it in water or wash it off with, you know, soap and um, isopropyl alcohol or whatever is super important, meaning you can get rid of all of your human scent that was on the outside of it and all of the dog slobber or if you buried the tad you can get rid of all of the dirt um, and sand or whatever was on it at the end of the day and none of that stuff can come inside the tad so you're keeping your training aid completely pristine throughout your the, like the lifespan of that training aid um, and so it's a game changer in terms of what we teach dogs of the target odor because now it's not the target odor plus your human scent plus, you know, the last high that it had plus all the other environmental odors that we've glommed onto it through our training. It can just be target odor. Um, and then there was all of these other features that we're, we were realizing about, um, you know, not only, you know, wiping off your human scent, but cross-contamination. How when you seal up the TAD, it has hermetic seals, meaning gas-tight seals. And so now, um, once I seal up this tad, it's not going to be off-gassing and contaminating all of my other training aids next to it. And so now I can also limit cross-contamination and make sure that my training aid doesn't, you know, training aid A doesn't smell like training aid B, um, which is super common in the explosives world. <clears throat> I don't know how much of an issue it is in the drug world, but, um, um, you know, cross-contamination happens wherever, it, you know, wherever it oh, is. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a deal. Like, Cameron Ford talked about it a bunch recently. It was a, it may have been one of you two that was talking about it too, um, about how like the best way to store it, it you know, store yes. narcotics. I mean, because okay, so yeah, it's a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, cross, we we worry about it. I mean, that said, um, you know, I'm not with explosives. I worry quite a bit more about it but with narcotics. Um, we keep everything separate, and because typically um, I like to keep it like sterile enough during the imprinting phase for the dogs. And then after that, I mean, I, I'm sure you know this, but people that typically have narcotics on them are not like the practicing like social distancing and are not super sterile anyway. <laughs> so the dogs are usually exposed to like everything else also. So it's not uncommon to find methamphetamine, heroin and cocaine in one find. Um, right. so it's just like, I'm sure you guys both know too, with explosives, it's not uncommon to find black powder RDX. I mean, a multiple like scent picture in the individual pieces, which is a whole other conversation about bundling and everything else, but, um, <laughs> which is outside the scope of what we're talking about. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it definitely is something that we worry about. Um, I worry about it. I use Dutch boxes and I use poppers at the kennel. Um, mm -hmm. And they are the, the the hot boxes are dedicated. They we clean them all the time with as much as we can. But I mean, so yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the so, other big ones that one we were noticing is that the the cotton scent bags. Once you lay that cotton scent bag down on any surface, you are leaving behind particulate. Um. So you like you're absolutely every. Thing that you put that touches that scent bag is contaminated. Um, and we've demonstrated that with simple, just like black light videos of, you know, powders and scent bags. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's gross contamination in, in terms of how much there is. It's not like residual odor, how like odor can linger, it's actual particulate material. And so 
oftentimes when, you know, you're using the same training area and someone, you know, a handler comes in one day and places a hide and then another handler comes in the next day and, you know, a dog maybe, you know, the handler thinks that the dog false alerted on an area and pulls them off. The dog might not have false alerted. Um, the dog might just be picking up on trace levels of what was the residue of what was left behind from the previous day's hide. And so what are we really training our dogs on at that point? Or what are we teaching our dogs when we pull them off of that odor? Really, we should be rewarding that fine because that, that was a home run trace detection fine. And when we pull them off, uh, you know, we're, we're discouraging that fine. And so um, the other thing that the TAD does is when you place it out, is you're not contaminating your hide locations. And so we had, um, you know, some uh, military working dog operations now are going into what we call the sub-T environment, so subterranean environment where, you know, we're going into tunnels and underground caves and all sorts of different locations. Um, and those training areas are few and far between. And so you can't afford to go into those training environments and contaminate them um, because we don't have another one that we can go and use. And so hmm. people, people are asking, saying, how can I go in there and you know, do, do this training and then not mess this site up forever? And so we're using you know, the TADs for those kind of, um, those kind of training uh, scenarios as well. So one of the things that I think, um, and, and I'll admit it myself, that I have, I train a bunch of bomb dogs, Ted trains bomb dogs, I know several guys. The one thing that we our lack in in this country is training dogs to find buried hides because that hasn't really been a thing so much for explosives here in the U.S. like it has overseas. Right. Um, it's I, I personally believe IEDs are going to come here, you know, whether it's roadside cars sitting on the side of the highway that blow up or buried hides, you know, like they're seeing overseas. Is the TAD something that you could use for training that type of work? Yeah. Yeah, we, I, I bury it, I put it, um, I put it underwater. So there's a lot of um, human remains detection dog handlers that are asking me like, hey, how far underwater can I put it? How, how long can I leave it underwater? I don't know the answers to that, but I have put the TAD underwater and, and try to test you know, my dog's um, detection capabilities and really push that to the limit. Um, but yeah, we bury it in sand, we bury it in dirt, we bury it in all sorts of different situations. Um, so, uh, yeah, absolutely, that's something that, that you can do. Well, I'll definitely be checking into it. So, Jenna, uh, I want to I move on to the work with uh, our buddy Pat Nolan. We've had Pat on the show a couple times. He had his wife on. If, <clears throat> and I, can, I think I can speak for Ted in this, too. If you were a dude, do you think the entire time you work with Pat, you'd have a hard on? Because I know I would. Because <laughs> that dude is freaking amazing. Work. Right. Yeah, that dude is, and a lot of people don't really get a chance to work with the guy. Um, everyone knows him, you know, but uh, I know some people have taken, you know, just pet obedience lessons from him and are, are you know, they or Connie. private. Uh, yeah, or his wife, Connie. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the stuff that Pat knows and how smooth that guy is, talk about how that relationship started, how, how you guys got working together. So actually, um, I met Pat when we were commencing a detection project, um, and I had heard about him, never met him, never really seen any of his seminars, but uh, given that a lot of the folks in the DOD had used him for various seminars, he had come highly recommended, 
and had really only talked to him or heard about him in the reference of bird dog, you know, long line casting, hand signals and whatnot. So wasn't quite sure what his detection and credibility was. And so to be honest, I was actually a little curious and kind of apprehensive as to having him on my detection project. Uh, but after having some initial conversations and like Michelle had pointed out, we like to be very inclusive and very transparent when we have our projects. So all the scientists talk to all the dog guys and vice versa. We want to know the ins and outs of everything. And so what I really wanted to know is whether or not Pat was going to be open to listening to the scientists on the DOD side of the house and trying to apply some of the things that we were learning in the lab into his training. And then of course, being able to verbalize back what was going on in the training so that we could kind of move things around in the lab to uh, better his performance as well. And after the first time I spoke with him, it was just, it was very clear that he was very open-minded, wasn't, you know, head in the sand and it's my way or the highway, which we never see that in the canine world. Um, but I right. absolutely was, was very, uh, very impressed with one, how he handled himself and two, just his pure, um, I guess how inquisitive he was as to how far could we push this detection capability. So yes, I had a hard on. Right. Of course. I, I don't think Pat got to where he is just ignoring other people. That's the one thing about him is, um, we've seen him at a couple seminars and I just always, of course, he sometimes is holding court. And he's sitting there and a lot of people want to meet him. But I see him just talking to a ton of people and they're talking and he's listening to every word they say. So he's definitely one of those guys that will take what he can, even though he brings more to the table than most people that are talking to him. But that that's really cool. He, he wants to read the science. So he'll come to Michelle and I and say, hey, do you have access to this paper? I really want to read it. And he wants to mm. learn the science side of it. And he'll send us papers, too, that we maybe didn't consider as something that we could apply in a project and maybe was way outside of our wheelhouse. But he wants to learn and continues to learn. And he pushes us to learn, too. Yeah, that's Pat. Um, that's why I let guys like that do it, and then I just uh, copy their work. It seems to work yeah. out pretty well for me. Just no, I, we're because <laughs> well, we're knuckle draggers. <laughs> <laughs> we're but knuckle draggers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, right. we didn't, I didn't invent anything. No, yeah, uh, we're knuckle nope. draggers. We just, yeah, I just teach dogs to find stuff and bite people. That's it. I'm not like, not fancy. Like, it's not that. Well, uh, I'll add. I'll add though that Pat. I mean, he's he's a scientist in his own right. I mean, and an inventor. I mean, he invented um, an electronic scent wheel that is. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, prototype phase now, but we're using it for our um, COVID detection project, and it's phenomenal. Um, he, uh, his, we use his scent wheels for lots of our projects because we can get tons of um, reps and data on, on, and sample points out of his detection wheels. Um, I mean, so much so that I was like, okay, and the tad has to be able to fit into the stainless steel scent cans that we use for his scent wheels. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he really, um, he brings a lot to the table far beyond the, the canine stuff. And the other thing I really like about him is that he doesn't get intimidated by the scientists either. And so sometimes I'll find like, it's almost a, um, a bad quality to, 
or not back hard. It's um, there's an intimidation factor sometimes when it's like, oh, I'm just a knuckle dragger. I don't know what I'm talking about. And then they defer to the scientists. I don't want that attitude ever in our projects because I'm like, everyone brings something to the table. And it's like, you're here because you are an expert in this canine realm or this discipline or, you know, this area of training. And I, and I want you to bring that to the table and I want you to advocate for it and we'll all hash it out. But don't like, but don't back down just because like someone has a degree or, or, you know, more years of experience in this area or whatever it is. So I, I really like that about him. Yeah. Ted and I work with a lot of people that, um, and we talk to a lot of people that have theories that they've been spouting for years without the proof. So, um, <laughs> When I like tracking is one of them. There's a bunch oh. of different things of tracking that people say. And I, however, have the numbers to dispute what they say. And so those are things um, that I won't ever give up. Uh, and I can, you know, when I'm in a conversation with those type of people, um, I do the same thing. Well, I will advocate for what is correct and not what you're spewing. Like the dude who says about the the Kong toy, if you use a Kong toy, your dog is going to learn right. on rubber car tires. Right. Switch. Stop. Fucking yes. stop, dude. Just stop. <laughs> I, uh, so blindingly stupid. You, there's nothing know. else you can say. <laughs> <laughs> you want to move on? No. Uh, yes. <laughs> that guy is a fucking <laughs> idiot. Uh, so, you know, we're going through all the sciencey stuff. Um, and, you know, we interviewed... Um, the, the interview before this, we talked about um, the COVID dogs. And during the interview, I was like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to touch them. Now that I know about the TAD device, I'm still not going to do it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> nope, pass. Um, and yeah, but you're, you're comfortable handling anthrax and whatever else. I'm, hand, I'm comfortable handling big, scary dogs. So I'll, we'll stick with that. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the COVID project. So one of the things that um, has been going around, and there's a video, which I'm, we talked about it in the last interview, and I'm sure you've seen it, and it's from Italy or France or somewhere over there. And there was a dude in a red jumpsuit, which is red flag number one. Um, <laughs> and he's clearly like... I mean, it's a terror. It's it's fu the work is fucking terrible. I mean, it's terrible Matt detection work. It's terrible handling. <laughs> but do you wear it when you're handling? So <laughs> no. So the work is terrible. The the detection work is terrible. The dog is terrible. And like the news crews are like, oh shit. They even have a mask on the fucking microphone. Um, so <laughs> what I you know what is because we talked about it in the interview and, and um uh the last one. And, you know, we were talking about like, well, what is the dog smelling? I'm like, well, shit, I don't know. COVID. I mean, I don't know what they're smelling. I don't even know what COVID is. I know it's flu, but I mean, I'm a fucking dog trainer. Like I, it's not my thing. I don't know. So, and then where do you look for it? How do you screen them? And like, so what is like, where is this going? How did it start? Where is it going? And where are we now? Okay. So, um, very simply, in our project, we are training the dogs to find the odor associated with the disease of coronavirus infect, like associated with coronavirus infection. So we're not training the dogs to find the actual virus. So we're training them to find um, the different odors that a human body will emanate when it, that human body is infected with SARS. Do you get that distinction? 
Yeah, oh, I get it, yes. right? Like, and I and I've been reading or I've been hearing like so they've been testing um, sewer treatment plants in large cities to, uh, and they do that with like polio or something too, right? To to kind of get what the overall infection rate is, so that they can determine like how many people are actually infected and whatever else. Um, so yeah, like I, like I understand that, and that's kind of one of the things like with some of the medical alert dogs too that you're you, it's the 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 effects of what it is. That is causing right. okay, yeah, that I right. understand. So, so the 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 body is like this. It's a human stink bomb, is what we call it, and and you can smell different disease states on on humans. Just the human nose can pick up on that. Um, certainly, in you know diabetes, um, the breath will smell different, and when kids have um, various you know infections or um, you know a staph infection or, or a sore throat or whatever, you can smell that. Um, and so the dogs are able to do that as well, and they're able to do it um, really well. And so what we do is we get, we're collecting different clinical samples or different samples off of COVID negative and positive patients, and we're presenting those to the dogs. And the dogs are discriminating between those two sets of samples, very simply. Um, and so the idea is that we will get from a proof of concept stage where we can demonstrate that ability in a double blind independent verification and validation, um, where we can take those, um, an unknown test sample and the dogs can then identify it. So no one knows, you know, if this was a positive or negative, and then we can find out later. That's like the gold standard of, a, you know, a, a testing situation. And, um, then if that works, then we can decide if we want to operationalize it as a capability. And that really depends on who the end user is and what they want to do with it. So if these dogs are, um, you know, associated with a hospital, that's really, that's the easiest one where you just bring samples to the dog. If this dog is, um, you know, associated with an elder care facility, that's the sort of the resident dog that can just continually be there in a screening capacity um, because you don't want to be swabbing, um, residents of this um, elder, elder care facility every day to be checking for, you know, outbreaks. Um, or if it's in the airport screening uh, capacity, then um, that, you know, that's, that's another step that we can take it. So that, that's where we, um, that's where we're going with it. Um, but we should have proof of concept um, sometime this fall established and we'll publish all of that and, and put that out to the, the, the community so that everyone can see the data. I said to uh, Maria when we interviewed her, Maria Goodavich, that um, I, I thought by the time you guys, you know, you guys are doing amazing work, um, by the time it's all done and, and say it's all proofed, is it is it really, is it going to be ready to work COVID or is it, a, is it a blueprint for the next pandemic since we've never really focused on a pandemic before? Um, so I, I don't think COVID's going away anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, and so I, I think this could address COVID now. And I certainly think that we should be focusing on the next, next pandemic, whether it's natural or man-made. And so um, this, I think the reason we are pushing so strongly towards getting this work done is because we do want the blueprint for the next, the next one, the next wave of either 
COVID or the next the next pandemic. Well, yeah, um, this stuff hits home for me because um, my uh, daughter got a positive test today. Uh, oh just like my god! I'm so sorry. Yeah, so we are uh, quarantining and isolating as of today at the house. So this yeah. this stuff is. Um, and obviously, you can guess a thousand times of where who in contact and where it came from. And um, so you know, I don't know what the future of all that is. I I agree with you. Um, you know, they don't. They, you know, it may end up coming into a whole thing with you guys looking into, you know, levels of. Maybe a person can get it a second time, and what odor is that putting out, and and all kinds of stuff. I I think you're probably going to be messing with this stuff for a long time. Yeah, we were um, really hopeful at at first that there was going to be some sort of combination of a vaccine and herd immunity and um, lasting immunity of some sort. And what we're seeing is, uh, you know, the the antibody response is really short last. Uh, short lasting. So after you recover from infection, you have a good antibody response for about 90 days. And after that, it's nearly gone. Um, and so we, we were thinking that reinfection will be possible, unfortunately. Um, so it makes uh, vaccine development all, all that more important. If, if a vaccine is able to um, boost you know, antibody levels more than uh, natural, naturally uh, occurring infection is. But no matter what, this is this is around for a while. This is our new normal, unfortunately. <sighs> that sucks. I just hope that yeah. it never comes out that dogs will get it. Yeah, They've and tested so it a couple times and said I, they keep saying that they don't. So that's that's a really good point. Um, we have we're on all of these different um, task force and and different um, working groups and whatnot, and um, there was some good numbers that were put out yesterday that. There were, there's been a lot of testing of, of pets that have shown clinical signs of some sort of, of a respiratory disease or some sort of, you know, uh, infection of some sort, even if it's not upper respiratory. And they came from a COVID positive household. And those are the only animals that have been allowed to get um, COVID tests. And out of all of those animals that have been tested, 99.05% have been negative. Huh. So dogs are not getting this. There's, there's been three confirmed, I think there's been three confirmed positive cases globally, um, that, you know, that were then, um, had like double confirmation. There has been a lot of stories in the news that were put out prematurely. Um, but the, upon subsequent testing, those tests came back negative. Um, so dogs are not, dogs are not getting this, at least for now. Everything's caveat with as of now and, you know, right. for what we know to what we know today, because this is a, this is a situation that is unfolding month to month as we learn more. Um, but right now the, the data is showing that dogs are not getting this. So that's, that should give everyone that listens to, um, you know, your, your show, some, some relief. Excellent. I know they tested yeah. some tigers. My brother-in-law um, is a zoologist here at the zoo um, in Tulsa. And um, he told me that they tested the tigers in Brooklyn. And I came to the conclusion they did that because of the, um, 
Joe Exotic thing, and they were trying to keep you from buying <laughs> baby tigers with their stimulus checks. So <laughs> don't buy so, a tiger. <laughs> cats, um, cats are a little different. I, we haven't done um, much following of the cats, but there is some documentation of human to cat transmission. Um, oh, great! So, so they, now, so they are more susceptible. Perfect. Excellent. That's exactly what, what I if a tiger do. eats a guy with COVID. Well, that's just yummy. Right. Um, what if Carol yeah. Baskin's husband had COVID and she no. threw him in the tiger pit? Could that tiger? No. Yeah. I thought that's how Never. he died. <laughs> no, yeah. he's buried. He's buried under the. Uh, he's buried on not the sept. Oh, he's buried under the septic tank. That's what it is. Yeah, she buried him under the septic tank allegedly. So allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, yeah. allegedly, you gotta say I allegedly. Said, Come on I now. I said allegedly. I said allegedly. Right. Plus, I'm a comedian. Like this is a. I I, I can say it over on. So, uh, where can we? So, if we wanted to find you guys um, on the socials um, and follow some of the work that you're doing, if you guys do that, where would we do that? Um. So you can go to SCI. K nine letter K number nine.com. And that pretty much has all of our information um, about the TAD. And then that links to all of our social media as well. So we're on Facebook. Um, and that's pretty much the, the main platform that we're, that we're on Instagram. We're not that popular for whatever reason. Interesting. Aaron it's because you haven't posted. I just looked, you don't post. No post I on know, Instagram. But it's like, I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> We're not that cool either. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't act so old. Get on. What are you on? TikTok? Hell no. What? No, I'm not, I'm not give doing the TikTok. Chinese. No, that, that's going to get shut down right. so hard. <laughs> They're stealing everybody's location mm. and shit. Yeah. <laughs> nah, I'm oh, yeah. not on TikTok. I'm not even on Snapchat. I don't even know how it works. I don't even care. Um, I don't, I still don't know how to use it. What is it? Is Snapchat a thing? No, it's a thing. Oh, yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. thing. If you had a teenage daughter, you would. Did you try to get me on some video thing, Michelle? What? Oh, Marco Polo? Yeah. That's negative ghostwriter. See, now we've veered off. So on normal platforms, Eric, where are you? No. Right. Yeah, I'm on Pornhub in the certain categories. You can find me on things you can do with farmers. Farmers only. Yeah, farmers only. Right. I do live in the country, so um, I'm on Van S K9 on Instagram, Van S K9 Academy on uh, Facebook, which now mostly is pet stuff. Um, but the Instagram is all the working dog stuff. Um, no, we're gonna hit you up so I actually hard. do post on this. Do it. That's sounds interesting. Hit but, it. Um, yeah. I just followed your page on Facebook, and I think I followed it on Instagram. Uh, all Sweet. five posts. Um, <laughs> all five we'll, uh, posts and show notes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Ted, where are you? Uh, I am on uh, Ted underscore Summers on Instagram, uh, and then Facebook is uh, HRD Police K9, Torchlight K9, letter K number nine. Also the same thing on um, Instagram, and then the podcast has its own Instagram. <laughs> Working underscore dog underscore radio and then working dog radio on uh, Instagram. Also, we started a pet site at Torchlight, so um, it's on Instagram now. I Woo! think it's Torchlight Pets. Yeah. 
Uh, it's something that I've uh, kind of resisted for quite a while. So um, we're going to do pets now. Travis came on board um, at Torchlight after finishing his school um, with us, his big-ass long trainer school, and is going to be doing police dogs and pets. So, nice. yeah, we're doing pets in Tulsa now. Um, so we're doing that's it. there. Yeah, more stuff to do. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. It is what it is. We're stoked about it. So um, <laughs> it'll be on Facebook too, to, uh, Torchlight Pets. Um, so yeah, Torchlight Canine Pets. Excuse I'm, me. So, yeah. I'm doing it. We're gonna we're gonna go to Ponca City and we're gonna rip it up. Ponca City. That's out in uh, <laughs> you're you're in Osage County. <laughs> so that, I think that's Osage County, uh, which is like gigantic. But yeah, I know where Ponca City is. Why are you guys going there? <laughs> Black site. Beautiful. Excellent. Uh, well, this has been extremely interesting and is a perfect follow-up to um, the last interview and a perfect end to the Ladies of Canine. So uh, we really appreciate it, guys. Yes, Thank you. it's been fantastic. Um, yeah. So everybody else, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye. See you, guys. Our oldest sponsor, our first sponsor, and our good friend, and a great dude all around, Arno at ALM Canine Equipment. Uh, his suits and his canine tugs and bite sleeves are some of the best in the industry. His Dude, I have a whole array of different uh, hidden sleeves from him of all various levels of dogs. Uh, he has a discount code for us, which is amazing, WD Radio for 10% off your first order. ALMCanineEquipment.com. Give him, a, give him a shout, man. Arno is a good guy with great quality equipment. ALMK9Equipment.com. One of the original three sponsors that have been with us from the beginning is Tripwire Operations Group, LLC. They're an internationally recognized leading provider of products, services, and training for federal, state, local, and law enforcement agencies and military units. They are ATF licensed for explosive material manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. These three kits combined create the complete picture for exp the explosive threats of canines. Be sure to check them out, tripwireops.org. The music in this episode is used with permission by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at Brother Deeg, that's spelled D-E-G-E dot -E net. Be sure to check him out there or on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or anywhere you stream media. This episode has been edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. Visit our other sites at patreon.com look for working dog radio hrdpolicecanine.com and look for the nearest seminar near you you got your reasons i got my wants still got that feeling but i'm too old to die young now working dog radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by brother deeg be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com that's spelled brother d-e-g-e blogspot.com be sure to buy him a beer at amazon itunes or cd baby or anywhere you stream your music working duck radio was edited and co-produced by alicia brandt